welcome to Your Financial Planet podcast with David Vallier and the Synergy Capital Solutions team. This is the show that brings you synergistic financial strategies to help you enjoy the fullness of today and empower your next generation. Join us for this journey to help you synergize your finances. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Your Financial Planet. I'm your host, David Vallier. And today we're joined by Eric Nahat. Eric, you've been on the show a bunch. I don't think we need to do an intro today, but thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So one thing that we've talked about in the past with some of our other podcasts is, you know, we've kind of acknowledged that some of our clients are really far down the spectrum and really advanced in terms of their knowledge of investments and and kind of the, the terms that we use and the phrases that we use. But also there's some clients that may have just inherited money or their spouse was taking care of of their planning and their investments and now they're in charge of it. So Eric, what I was hoping to do is just to kind of peel back a little bit, maybe start at the beginning, have some basic investment terms that we cover. And and for listeners, hold on, it's not all basic, but we want to just kind of build somewhere and progress to you know, some, a little bit more advanced terms. Is it, does that work for you, Eric? Sounds like a plan to me. Okay, great. So let's just jump right in. We talk in, in our world about equity, about stocks. Can you just help our listeners to understand what is a stock? How does it work? Sure. I think that's a good, good spot to start. So a, a stock's an investment where you are an owner in a company. So you're purchasing a share of a company that you think will increase in value over time, and then uh, the stock eventually can be sold for a profit. So um, companies will issue stock to raise money, to to grow and, and invest in their business. And buying stock is a way for investors to grow their assets over time and outpace inflation. I would say that there are risks though. Uh, for example, companies can lose value or go out of business completely. And and when that happens, stock investors may lose all or part of their investment. And uh, that's one reason why we recommend spreading the risk between different companies instead of focusing on just one. Okay. So we'll talk about some other things about how strategies for what we call diversification or spreading the risk around a little bit later in this conversation. Talk to me about a little bit more about stocks. Let's stay here for a little bit longer. Do stocks pay interest? I know you said that they, they're kind of what I think is higher up in the equity deck, or maybe a little bit more risk there in terms of if something happens with the company, there's a little bit more risk on the table. But are there also stocks that pay interest? Talk to me about that. Yep. So that, that's another great question. I would say that generally for, for uh, the common stock, when most people think about what a stock is, they don't necessarily pay interest, but oftentimes pay dividends. And so uh, dividends are a way for companies to distribute revenue back to investors. And one of the ways that investors, of course, can earn a return from investing in a stock. So oftentimes you'll hear about uh, dividend yield, which measures uh, the company's annual dividend divided by the stock price on a certain date. Uh, we like companies that raise their dividend over time because one, it can provide a stable uh, growing income stream. And uh, two, uh, a growing dividend can be a, a sign of a healthy company that has growing cash flows and profits. Not all companies will pay a dividend. 
you have some companies that would in, instead prefer to invest uh, all of their revenue into the growth of the company. Outside of, of common stocks, you have uh, preferred stocks, which fall somewhere between uh, a bond and a stock. You can think of that as a, a hybrid, but more often than not, uh, when clients think stocks, they'll think common stocks, some of which pay dividends, some of which don't. Okay. And, and I know one of our colleagues, Norton Stern, gave this great example of, of a stock that when he was first getting into the business was not paying a dividend and why they would not pay a dividend and how that's paid that stock back and its investors significantly over time. Tell me why a company would consider paying a dividend. Uh, great question. Oftentimes when a company is first growing, you can think of it as a growth company. Uh, a lot of the times in the world we see today tech companies where they need to use uh, all the revenue and profits that they generate to reinvest back into their business. Uh, instead of uh, returning funds to, to their shareholders through a dividend, they prefer to invest it and, and hopefully help the stock price rise over time. As that growth starts to, to taper out, and they're not as, uh, on quite a, a, a steep trajectory. Uh, oftentimes, companies will look to start to return shareholders, return funds to shareholders through, through different ways. And so that's one reason why they'd look to pay a dividend. Um, okay. Basically, it says, uh, as an owner of our company, we're going to distribute some of the income we earned um, this year to you. Got it. So talk to me about this, this term stock buybacks. What does that mean? How does it work? Yep. Yep. That's another good question. So stock buybacks, they're also known as share repurchases, occur when a company buys back its shares in an open marketplace. Doing that reduces the, the number of outstanding shares on the market, which in turn increases the ownership stake of the remaining shareholders. And uh, a company might buy back its stock because it believes the market's discounted its shares too steeply, maybe uh, to, to invest in itself uh, or to improve its financial ratios. It's another way for companies to distribute money to shareholders and oftentimes more tax efficient than paying dividends because there's no taxable event um, and an investor sells, um, at which point it would be at capital gains rate instead of possibly ordinary income rate. Okay, very interesting. So talk to me a little bit about different kinds of stocks. I know in, in our world, it's it's pretty common to talk about different sectors of the economy or whether this is a large cap, a, a mid cap, a small cap. Can you just kind of give our listeners a flavor of the different kind of stocks that are out there? Mm -hmm. You can think of it as a, a grid with um, one side of it being size of the company. So uh, you'll have small cap companies. These are companies that are going to be, to use the U.S. as an example, a bit more domestic, um, not quite as multinational, smaller companies. You're going to have mid-cap stocks, which uh, fall somewhere between the, those small caps and uh, the large-cap stocks, which are, um, say, the, the S&P 500 and, and the companies to the top range of that. You're also going to have companies that break down between uh, what you consider uh, growth and value. Value companies typically are a bit more longstanding, have uh, established cash flows, profits, pay dividends versus a, a growth stock, uh, to go back to our earlier conversation, um, that's on a bit steeper of a trajectory, maybe a bit newer of a company, may not pay a dividend. And so 
um, when we invest in stocks, uh, it, it's really important for us to try to hit different areas along that, that grid to make sure we're getting exposures to these different areas of, of the equity markets. Okay. So let's just set stocks. I know there's a lot more we could talk mm-hmm. about with stocks, by the way, but in the spirit of what we're trying to accomplish here and, and bring listeners up to speed, let's set stocks aside for a little while and, and let's talk about bonds. Tell me what they are, how they compare to a stock. Yep. I mentioned that as a, a stock shareholder, you are an owner of a company. When you be, buy a bond, you become a lender. So bonds are used by companies to, to finance investments or operations and are structured to uh, include an end date where the principal or, or the lent value is due to be paid back to the bond owner. And it usually includes terms for interest payments paid by the borrower. So bonds have maturity dates, they pay interest. Um, the maturity date, basically the principal must be paid back in full or the company risks default. Along with risk of default, there, there's also risks of interest rate movement and um, the corresponding change in value of your bonds and liquidity risk. So being able to sell the bond at, at a fair price. Overall, bonds fall higher on the capital structure than stocks. And so what does that mean? That means that if, say, a company were to run into cash flow or operational problems, uh, bondholders would be more likely to be repaid, especially before common stock shareholders. Therefore, bonds carry less risk than stocks, but also due to that, we would expect them to have lower returns over the long term. Okay. And you actually made a really good point there. I, I need to correct myself. I kind of worded that the opposite when I was talking about stocks. Stocks are lower on the equity structure. Bonds are higher. So if there is a restructuring with the company, bondholders are more likely to get to see some repayment than a stockholder of that same company. Yep, so exactly. I'm really, so I'm really glad there. you pointed that out because as you said <laughs> that, I realized I said that backwards <laughs> in our previous statement there. So so thank you for talking to me about that. Tell me a little bit about what kind of bonds exist. Like just so we went through what kind of stocks, give me a high level, what kind of bonds exist? Mm-hmm. So uh, I would say there's two main areas of, of bonds um, with, without getting too granular. Uh, you'll have corporate bonds. So you can think of this as any kind of corporate entity. Those other companies that I named the S&P 500, they all issue debt to finance their operations. They'll issue bonds and you can go out and buy one of their corporate bonds. There'll also be municipal bonds or, or, or government bonds. These are issued by uh, municipalities or public entities to also finance finance operations. Depending on uh, what's called the credit rating, uh, basically credit rating is how secure is is this company? Basically, just like how you would underwrite a a loan for if you were to go take out a a loan as a business, bonds will have underwriters that, that dig into their credit rating there'll be uh, a certain yield that's paid on it. And so if you're investing in a company that's more risky, they're smaller, they don't make as much of a profit, or maybe they even have losses, uh, you would expect to get a higher return. And therefore, uh, the company would then have to have pay a higher interest rate or yield on the bond. And vice versa, if you were to invest in the US government in a treasury bond, which is considered to be basically one of the safest investments you can you can make out there 
you're not taking as much risk and therefore you could expect a lower yield or, or a lower return. Got it. So Eric, we've, uh, we've, we've covered stocks, we've covered bonds. Let's talk about some other terms that, that maybe folks have heard or even been a part of conversations, but uh, let's talk about ETFs or exchange traded funds and mutual funds. Can you give us a, a flavor for what those are and how they work? Of course. Uh, an ETF or an exchange traded fund is a, a basket of securities such as, such as stocks or bonds that we talked about. Uh, that can be purchased on the open market. Most ETFs will track an index. So uh, to, to continue with the S&P 500 um, example, we'll, we'll track an index like the S&P 500 and you get the benefits of diversification while also getting the ease of trading like a stock. Mutual funds also provide diversification and are often actively managed, meaning that there's a, a manager making buy and sell decisions instead of just tracking an index. Typically, I'd say we prefer ETFs over mutual funds because ETFs tend to be uh, more efficient to trade, have lower trading costs and expense ratios, or, or basically the internal costs of the fund, and are also more tax efficient. Uh, will occasionally use a, a mutual fund if the manager can provide some value or strategy that we can't. But for the most part, we buy ETFs or stocks for our clients, uh, especially because we actively manage stocks on our own. Got it. Okay. And so I think I heard you say this, but I just want to kind of highlight this for our listeners. Can you have a stock mutual fund or ETF and also have a bond fund and do those does an ETF and a mutual fund work within the stock world as well as the bond world? Yeah, great question. Yes, they do. And so um, just like you could go out and, and buy uh, uh, an ETF that tracks a certain subsector of the equity world, you can go out and buy an ETF that tracks a, a certain subsector of um, the bond universe, whether it's investment grade bonds, high yield bonds, municipal bonds. ETFs, uh, especially over the last couple of decades, have grown immensely. And so basically any option that you could think of that exists for a mutual fund out there would also exist in, in ETF form now. Okay, great. Thank you. So something else that's out there that people ask about is what is an annuity? Can you walk us through that? Sure. Uh, annuities. So uh, an annuity is basically a, a contract between you and an insurance company that promises to pay you regular income either uh, immediately or in the future. It's essentially uh, an insurance policy against outliving your assets. Uh, annuities can make sense in, in certain circumstances. Uh, I would say for most clients, we found that they're better served with uh, a diversified investment portfolio rather than an annuity. Annuities can be significantly more expensive. They offer less investment options, they can restrict access to getting your money back and, and have higher taxes as um, the distributions are taxed at ordinary income um, instead of capital gains. And so they may make sense in certain circumstances, uh, especially if clients have already owned them for, for a number of years, but investors need to, to really make sure it makes sense before they purchase one. Okay. So they really need to be uh, getting some good advice on that. Mm -hmm. What Definitely. kind of investment options are inside of an annuity? Sure. So uh, with an annuity, 
there'll be a couple of different types of annuities. Uh, there'll be a, a fixed annuity, which is going to be more of a, a secure bond type investment, um, typically with a guaranteed rate. Because of that guaranteed rate and the very little risk that you are taking, uh, typically those uh, yields or income generated off of that can be quite low. Occasionally, we'll come across one that was established years ago that, that pays a higher guaranteed rate. That's one we typically hold on to. But I would say in most cases, uh, fixed rates uh, are, are paying a, a pretty low rate right now, especially when you factor in inflation. You also have variable annuities, uh, which have a more diverse investment selection, um, ranging from the equity world that we spoke about to bonds. And you have a, a bit more optionality there in terms of what you invest in and the types of growth that you can see, but the, the same uh, restrictions are around annuities still apply. Yeah, it sounds like annuities, I always heard annuities are sort of a mutual fund with an insurance bow wrapped around it. So it sounds like for listeners, they, they can be a useful tool at times, but very useful to reach out to a, an educated professional that understands annuities to find out if that's actually the right fit for you and, and your plan. Yeah, highly recommend statement. a conversation with, with your advisor about it. Okay. Another term that's thrown around a lot is diversification. And for those of us that live in this world and you know play in the investment world, for lack of a better term, but live and breathe it every day, we understand that. But for some folks, that's that's a new term. Talk to me about diversification. What does it mean? How does it work? Yep. So diversification is the idea that investing in more securities or different asset classes reduces your risk. So um, just like the, the old idiom, don't put all of your eggs in one basket, you don't want to concentrate everything you have in one area because then you have a greater chance of losing everything. So especially us, when we work with clients who are looking to grow their assets responsibly over time and have an emphasis on downside protection or, or trying to protect the wealth that they, they've created, diversification is a must. We would much rather have um, good risk-adjusted returns than be more concentrated and try to hit home runs every time. And so uh, that's why for us, we always want to start with a, a plan and look at the aspects such as income spending, assets and liabilities, but we'll build a portfolio that's diversified between the, the different areas of stocks that we discussed, as well as the different areas of bonds that we discussed, primarily using ETFs. Got it. Some I, I heard you say that I really liked and, and made me reflect a little bit is that oftentimes we're helping, we're stewards for clients to grow assets that they've accrued over a lifetime of working or growing a business and they've had a liquidity event, something that they can't really go back after 20, 30, 40 years of doing it and replicate. So this diversification, and, and as you said, protecting that downside is pretty important. It's a really good point. Talk to me about how diversification works in combinations with meeting goals. How do you vet that out? How do you work that out? Mm -hmm. Yep. I'll, I'll touch on that. And that will kind of, I wanted to, to, to talk about asset allocation a little bit. So I think those, those two tie together. So, Bring them together. Great. Um, as, I, as I mentioned, uh, for us, it all starts with a plan. We're going to want to look at income, spending, assets, and liabilities to create a plan to meet any goals or aspirations that our clients have. And from there, we'll begin to build a portfolio using whatever combination of different asset classes between stocks and bonds and some more granular investments 
uh, to meet those goals and aspirations. And so the biggest part of that and one of the biggest drivers of uh, one, your risk that you take over the long term, but also your return is going to be the, the asset allocation. And so asset allocation goes along with diversification and asset allocation by definitions, the balance between different asset classes, such as equities and bonds in your investment portfolio. Asset allocation will be driven by planning aspects. So such as the goals, your age, your risk tolerance, et cetera. When clients are younger or have a longer investment timeframe, we tend to use a more growth oriented allocation that has a greater exposure to growth assets such as stocks. And we do this because it's important to have investments that will outpace inflation over time. And uh, the, the longer investment timeframe helps to balance out the increased volatility or potential upswings and downswings that we see in the portfolio. For clients that have a shorter investment time frame, we typically take less risk and use a greater exposure to asset classes such as bonds because the client has less time to recover from any market downturn. So it will all start with the, the plan. It's going to depend on uh, investment time frame, age, uh, risk tolerance. And from there, uh, we'll basically build out a portfolio that ranges from conservative to a more balanced approach to a more growth or stock oriented approach, uh, depending on the goals that we're trying to meet. Got it. Okay. So two other things I'd like you to touch on and some of that you you kind of teased around there, but talk to me about rebalancing and then another term or another phrase that's used in our business is dollar cost averaging. Can you talk to me about those two things? Sure. So rebalancing also related to diversification and asset allocation. So uh, that's a, a good time to ask that question. With a diversified portfolio, some components of the portfolio will outperform others, and, and thus there's drift from where you first started. And when you rebalance, you tend to trim gains from the assets that have performed best and then add more money to the assets that have performed the worst. Um, and can and I jump helped. in there? Yeah. Can I jump in there? Is that what you mean by drift? Yes, exactly. So you can think of drift as, as say you, you start out with a goal of having 50% stocks and 50% bonds, which we consider a balanced allocation. Say the, the equity markets have a good run over a period of months or years. Because of that, um, the equities would outperform the bonds in the portfolio. And you may see that 50-50 allocation that you have grow to 55 or, or, or 60% stocks versus 45 or 40% bonds. And, and instead of being on a, say, on a zero to 10 level risk of five, all of a sudden you've crept up to, say, a, a five and a half to six. So part of rebalancing is to make sure we don't drift too far away from that, that original goal. The other part of it is, say, uh, once again, uh, stocks have done well. It has drifted, drifted up. When you're investing over time, uh, and, and this will lead into dollar cost averaging, it can be really beneficial to start to trim from some areas that have done well. And to use a current example um, in portfolios today, uh, we've had uh, the, the tech sector basically at all time highs. Well, you have other sectors that are, are, are down, say, 40 to 50 percent over uh, year to date or over the last 12 months. And so from a, a rebalancing perspective, uh, we've looked at portfolios lately and said, OK, we're going to start to trim from some of the these tech names that we have that have done really well 
and, and start to put some additional money into sectors such as energies or financials that may not be uh, as attractive in this uh, work from home COVID type environment, but from a forward looking return basis are, are priced really attractively. And so we'll do that over time periodically. And that's where dollar cost averaging comes in as well. And so uh, basically the idea of dollar cost averaging is the idea of investing portions of funds over time instead of doing it all at once. And to use these uh, these energy or financial sectors, again, as an example, uh, as the market has, has decreased in, in those areas for clients that have been dollar cost averaging in, they're continually buying in at a lower price, which is lowering one, their cost basis or price that they paid, but two, uh, on a forward looking return basis, um, buying in at more and more attractive opportunities. So when you look at, at the market, it's impossible to time the market on a short-term basis. And if you look at the, the S&P 500 on a, a day-to-day basis over the past 100 years, it's basically a coin flip on whether the, the market will be up or down on a given day. And so it's risky to take all of your money and put it into the market at once because you could be see a big swing on a day-by-day basis, especially if you had to, to say sell soon or you had a, a short investment time horizon. Investing at regular intervals helps to lessen the impact of that and uh, lessen the uncertainty of that volatility. And instead, you can start to trust the long-term risk and return statistics uh, of your investment. And so people do this all the time for their 401ks and and retirement plans, for example, uh, but also an approach uh, for clients uh, that that we take to investing new funds. And so at the end of the day, one, it comes down to a plan. It comes down to creating a plan and, and sticking to it. It comes down to not necessarily being emotional or reactive um, uh, to, to what you're seeing short term in the markets, but trying to, to take a step back and, and figure out, okay, what looks best for me over the next um, six months, 12 months, uh, all the way up to five years, 10 years, all the way through retirement. And another question for you, just on dollar cost averaging, you mentioned dollar cost averaging in. Is there a scenario where people are do- dollar cost averaging out? Of their- Good question. Yep. The, the, the same thing would still apply. So uh, just like you could see uncertainty if you're looking at the market on a one day by day basis, the last thing you'd want to do is say, I'm going to take all of my money out of the market tomorrow and not necessarily know uh, whether the markets will be up or down. If you're able to, we call it phase in, um, where you're investing more or phase out, where you know you need money, uh, it, it helps to it helps to plan for it. And for example, for our clients that we know are taking distributions, um, whether they're on a, a monthly basis or an annual basis, uh, we'll typically keep six months of distributions in cash anyways. And so that was really nice in, say, March. So for clients that were taking money out that we had known about, February market hit all-time highs. We were able to say, okay, there's we don't expect COVID or anything like that. We did not see COVID coming. Sure. Um, but we did say that markets are at all-time highs. Valuations are a little bit expensive. We're going to hit the brakes a little bit. And we're going to, to use a term that we talked about earlier, rebalance, and move some of the, the money that had done well in stocks back to bonds that would do well in a recessionary type scenario. So we were able to do that, but also for clients that were taking money out, 
uh, we had at that point, we went in and raised six months of distributions for cash. And so when COVID happened in, in March, we didn't have to sell markets, uh, equities in a down market. Instead, we knew, hey, we have March, April, May, June, July, say August covered for distributions. We're able to hold on, fund the distributions from the cash that we already have and let the market recover in the meantime. Love it. Great example. Um, Eric, there's a lot to cover here. And, and for listeners, I want to cover more. I'm going to have Eric back and we'll we'll cover some more what we would call investing 101 or basics in future podcasts. If you do as a listener have anything that you want us to cover, please reach out to us and let us know. Eric, where can people reach out to us? Yep. You can reach out to us at hello at synergycapitalsolutions.com or www.synergycapitalsolutions.com. Great. And check out our our revised website. It's been refreshed here in the last 30 days or so. And, and like Eric said, if, if you do have questions, there's something you want us to cover on a podcast, please send it to us. We'd love to cover that. And as always, listeners, thank you so much for joining us today on Your Financial Planet. I'm your host, David Vallier. Please subscribe and share. We look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Your Financial Planet, the Synergizer Capital podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Synergy Capital Solutions is a financial planning and investment management firm registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC, Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk. And there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Synergy Capital Solutions and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data or other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Synergy Capital Solutions and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. <laughs>